What is the role of the president-elect? And is it even a role? Well, we'll find out. Uh, we're talking about that today. Very appropriate topic for today, right? Yeah, this is today. Welcome to This Is Today, the podcast that features the stories that make this day unique. It's Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. I'm Russ, and here's what you need to know about today. Well, it's uh, Inauguration Day, and I do have to admit, uh, we're recording this before today. I mean, we're not a live thing. You know, it's not like radio. Uh, we're not like live. Um, we are <laughs> recording this a couple of days in advance. So no idea what is going on today. Hopefully everyone is cool. Hopefully it's a non-event. It's just, um, you know, somebody standing up, taking an oath and we're moving on and all is good. And, you know, there's no breaking news or breaking things, <laughs> hopefully. Um, yes. Uh, so we will talk about uh, inauguration. We'll also talk about the role of the president-elect. And specifically, I'm going to be talking with Mark Sada. He is a assistant professor in the Department of Philosophy at Wayne State University. He's also wrote several articles for theconversation.com, which is a great website. If you haven't been there, go check it out. I'll put a link to Mark's articles so that you can go uh, read more about what he has written. But first, um, before we get to that interview, let's talk about some of the other events for today. Uh, yes, let's start out with National Cheese Lover's Day. Yes, Urkel would be very happy today because he loved cheese. That's the only thing I remember about Urkel. Um, I don't really watch Family Matters anymore. So yes, uh, <laughs> Urkel loved cheese. Uh, if you do love cheese, uh, today would be a great day to break that out. Maybe that would be, you know, you can have some cheese and definitely some wine <laughs> while you're watching uh, the inauguration. Uh, that'll calm the nerves, hopefully. It's also DJ Day today. Yes, National DJ Day. And no, I'm not talking about DJ Tanner from Full House. This isn't a uh, TGIF themed day. You know, remember TGIF, Fridays, ABC, come on, that was great. Uh, but yes, it is not uh, that because we're not celebrating Cousin Balky as well. Instead, we are celebrating DJs, both radio DJs, club DJs, and event DJs. I've been all three of those at one point in my life. I feel like uh, uh, I'm glad that point is over. At some point, I've got to do a podcast just telling you about all the various stories that I saw at weddings. <laughs> I personally DJed uh, about a thousand or so weddings um, when I was doing uh, that little business there. And uh, yeah, there's plenty of stories. <laughs> that could be its own podcast. Um, so uh, to all my DJ buddies out there that are listening, both radio and event and uh, club DJs as well, actually, I can't forget about them. Uh, happy National DJ day today. Uh, it's also National Penguin Day today as well. And uh, to all my penguin friends, I, I must wish a happy uh, Penguin Day as well. I don't know even what I'm talking about anymore. Uh, let's take a look at the events for today, shall we? Yes. Uh, in 1975, the NFL Pro Bowl was played, which is really hard for me to say. The NFL Pro Bowl. I have to say it like that or else I can't get it out, right? Uh, the NFC beat the AFC 17 to 10. In 1980, there was a Super Bowl happening, of course, right? On this day, Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Los Angeles Rams 31 to 19. Who was the MVP? Terry Bradshaw. He was the quarterback for Pittsburgh. That game was played in Pasadena. Uh, Barack Obama was inaugurated as the 44th president of the United States in 2009 on this day. And in 2017, 
Donald Trump was inaugurated as the 45th president of the United States, uh, becoming the oldest person to assume the office until today. Yes. So <laughs> happy inauguration day to all of you. I do hope that everything is going smooth. Um, if I had a crystal ball and I could see what was going on, I'd probably adjust the way that I'm doing the podcast today. But yes, it has been recorded in advance and we do have a great conversation coming up about the president-elect. And I'm going to be doing that. I'm joined by an assistant professor uh, who is going to be talking to us about the term president-elect in the United States and the history of that term and what that all means. Is there actually any real responsibilities for the president-elect? Well, we'll find out right after this. There is nothing I hate more than standing by the refrigerator section looking at a beer selection and not knowing what to pick. Yeah, I'll just pick by the label sometimes, but no, I, I'm going to stop doing that because the Beer Connoisseur has over 5,000 expert beer reviews and in-depth articles about the drink we all know and love. Yeah, it's even got like brewery tours, product reviews, all that fun stuff right there in the magazine. And best of all, because you're one of my listeners, you can take $5 off. Just click the link in the description and head over to the Beer Connoisseur and uh, start drinking better beer. And welcome back. So today it's Inauguration Day. And, you know, we've been using the term president-elect for about two months or so now. Some of us for a couple of weeks, but <laughs> many of us for a couple of months uh, since uh, Joe Biden won the election. Well, using that term president-elect, what does that exactly mean? And where does that stem from? And are there any like official duties of a presidential president-elect? What, what is all this? So I started doing some research. I found an interesting article on uh, The Conversation, uh, a fantastic website if you haven't been there yet. I found this article by Mark Sata. He is a professor at the uh, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at Wayne State University. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Russ? Uh, doing well. It's uh, inauguration day. We uh, we made it to this day, and uh, you know, I have been using the term president-elect for months now on the podcast, and it kind of like I realized like I'm not really sure the origin of that. And I found your article, and I found it fascinating. What exactly does it mean to be president-elect? Yeah. So, um, in thinking about where the term comes from. And what the term means, you might initially think that it's the sort of term that you could like look it up in a statute and figure out exactly what the term means. But uh, it's the case that the term president-elect has actually never been defined in U.S. federal law. So you might be asking, okay, where does the term come from then? Uh, the term seems to be uh, have sort of derived its meaning organically far back in the nation's history, at least when we're thinking about president-elect of the United States, mm -hmm. uh, we can actually trace the meaning all the way back to George Washington. Okay, so the term, like, okay, so we've got the office of the president-elect and all this yeah. official-looking stuff. However, the term doesn't really, it seems to me, it doesn't really have any legal <laughs> use so is it really just a custom or is this like an actual legal type of position? So what I would say is that at this point, it's a bit of both. It certainly, um, the use of the phrase itself, the language comes from custom, not law. 
our informal practices of calling someone president-elect are much older than any sorts of use of the phrase in uh, a U.S. federal uh, document. But um, over time, you know, there are plenty of legal terms that have never been given a clear definition. Uh, In this case, by choosing to use the term president-elect in the 20th Amendment, and then subsequently, um, the term has been used in federal statutory law, outlining what the transitional process looks like from president-elect to elect. Uh, The term has become a quasi-legal term, but it's a legal term whose meaning comes from custom, if that makes sense. And this is because of theories of, uh, well, this is me basing it off of, you know, dominant theories of judicial interpretation. So, Mm -hmm. for example, if there was a court case where um, the matter under dispute, uh, it depended how we define the term president-elect. And um, the argument was, you know, we should interpret it this way versus that way. What a court's going to do, since the term doesn't have a legal definition, they're going to turn to customary usage to figure out what mm. any sort of law using the term president-elect should mean. Yeah, so yeah. it's really sort of a hybrid in that way. So George Washington, in that letter that uh, you'd mentioned, it was the first time he used the term president-elect. Tell us about that letter. You, you talked about this in your article. You even linked to the letter in that article, but let's talk a little about that letter. So uh, I guess I can't guarantee that it was the first time he used the term in writing, but it, it, at least it's the the first usage I could find. So here's the context. Uh, it's late February uh, at the end of his first term as president. Uh, up until the 1930s, Inauguration Day actually happened at the start of March, March 4th, rather than in January. So this is back when inauguration still happens in March, Uh, but it's February 27th. So, you know, Inauguration Day is less than a week away. Uh, And the letter we've got is uh, he's written it to some members of his cabinet. And he says... uh, Well, I'll read you a bit of the formal language and then I'll sort of translate. He writes, as the day is near at hand when the president-elect is to take the oath of qualification and no mode is pointed out by the constitution or law, I wish that you, and then he sends some instructions to the cabinet. But what is he doing? He's basically saying, hey, look, the constitution doesn't really say um, exactly how we have to do this whole inauguration thing. Um, but it's coming up, so let's make a plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just, uh, it was, it was a, a really sort of fun insight into what it looked like back at the very start of our nation really becoming a nation. Uh, right. And, you know, it was much smaller, uh, both the landmass, the population, but uh, the government structure as a result was also much simpler. Yeah, you know, I've got to bring up the timing of this. You had just mentioned that this letter was sent in late February. Yes. Well, okay, so before uh, Inauguration Day was in March. So what they did was they waited until March because they needed to essentially tally all the votes, get them all together. And it would take quite some time back then 
to finish the process. And I believe, uh, if I'm correct, it was uh, during Roosevelt where they uh, moved it to January, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, sweet. I did pay attention that day in history. <laughs> Excellent. Full <laughs> points. Yeah, so um, y- you're right to point out that the reason we made the switch from March to January for the inauguration is precisely because of how long uh, it took at one point to get the votes in, to review things, make sure everything was in order. No one was sending emails. Um, It was all happening, literal paper moving about the country. So for example, another one of the letters that I cite too, and and this one's fun because it's James Madison sends a letter to Thomas Jefferson. So the fourth and third presidents of the United States, respectfully, before either one of them has been president. Uh, They're talking about, in this letter, Madison refers to John Adams as the next president-elect. But here's how this links to what you were talking about. That letter was sent on December 21st, 1796, and Madison still didn't know what the results were from Vermont, Tennessee, Kentucky, and uh, at least one other state um, or territory that was that was voting. And this wasn't because, you know... Um, there was disputes or a tight race or something like this. At the time, you know, the president wasn't um, even popularly elected within states. It's just a matter of the material doesn't seem to have arrived yet for him to inspect. <laughs> um, a stagecoach somewhere. Or yeah, yeah. So I don't know exactly th- what the wow. reason for the delay was. But, um, you know, if you don't have the results from all the states yet, um, you're not going to declare uh, a new president. And right. so it used to be that this, the Congress didn't meet to uh, certify the vote until late January. But yeah, as we were able to sort of streamline the process over time, suddenly you didn't have the need for the process to start in early November and uh, not wrap up until till March. And I think probably because, um, and th- this is speculative, um, but I'm sure the sort of long lame duck period that you mentioned when the gap would be from early November to early March was part of what motivated the change. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a long time to be waiting in the wings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so where, where did you source all this? It's really interesting that you found actual letters, things like that. How did you uh, come about writing this article and finding all these letters? Yeah. So um, I was fortunate in the sense that Every resource I, I looked at was uh, a publicly available resource. I really relied on two key sources in particular. For the letters that I used, uh, I used uh, Founders Online, which is uh, a resource from the government archives. They have posted online uh, a bunch of letters and papers from some of the, the founding figures. So Washington, Madison, Adams, Jefferson, I think Hamilton, John Jay, maybe Franklin. There's like a handful and I think they're, they're adding to it. So like, for example, the John Jay papers just went up fairly recently, Um, but it's got a search function. So I just searched that site um, for the term president elect. I, you know, I did it uh, with and without the hyphen, ran it a couple different ways just to see what the founders had to say about the term. That's cool. I, I had not heard of that site. I'm going to have to check that out. I'll, I'll throw a link in the podcast too if anybody else is interested in uh, 
perusing some of this information from the founders. Um, you know, the, the podcast today is, is is airing, you know, during the inauguration. So by the time some people are listening to this, it's already happened, and some people are nervously or <laughs> anxiously awaiting uh, what is going to happen. So we, we don't know what's going to happen on this day. Uh, however, there are some typical traditions. We, we might not see those this year uh, because, you know, Trump's in Florida and there's COVID and there's probably not a parade. There's a lot of traditional stuff that's going away. What do you feel like is, is most likely going to be there today, some of those traditions that will still be around today, despite all of the craziness that's been going on? Yeah, so I, I suppose maybe the most important tradition that I um, expect will, will be happening today is uh, we'll have a new person entering the office of the presidency who is going to publicly commit to upholding the constitution and uh serving this nation uh and you know we've had well over 200 years of successful transitions mm -hmm. to um a new leader being given this chance to make that commitment uh and then you know we as the people get to watch what this leader does for the next four years. And we get to judge uh, how well the president has uh, fulfilled that um, obligation or not fulfilled it. And then, you know, we have a chance to either reaffirm that we, we think the president has done a good job uh, upholding the constitution, or we can uh, make a change. Uh, so in a certain sort of way, the opportunity every four years to make a change is itself, a, a bit oddly, one of the most stable and consistent features of how the American system works. It's one of the most stable features of how U.S. federal politics and the federal government has run. All right. So, and you've got some additional articles on uh, the conversation. I'm going to put a link to that in the podcast description so that people can learn more about some of the uh, articles that you've written. And uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me today and talking about the president elect, the inauguration, and all of this. It was my pleasure, Russ. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's take a look at our birthdays for today. Buzz Aldrin was born on this day in 1930, turning 91 today. Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich. I'm going to say it right. Maybe the third time I say it. Skeet Ulrich is 51 today. George Burns was born on this day in 1896. Remember him? I loved George Burns. He passed away in 1996. David Lynch is 75 today. Bill Maher is 65. Fareed Zakaria is 57. That's your look at January 20th. Thanks for listening to This Is Today. We do our best to pull together all the correct information. If we made a mistake and you heard it, you're super smart and we're super sorry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five star if you think we deserve it. If you'd like to make sure that we cover something on a future episode, let us know. Go to thisistodaypodcast.com to make suggestions, see our other podcasts, and give us some feedback. I hope you enjoyed learning about today. I'm Russ, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.